1997, uh, the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, he famously revealed his top three priorities uh, for office. So if you're in the UK in 1997, can you remember what they were, the top three priorities for Tony Blair and his government? They were education, education, and education. Well, that there is still a familiar cry, um, isn't it? We can often hear sort of humanitarian focus groups, humanitarian uh, organizations extolling the virtues of educating the world. Isn't that right? That should uh, mankind receive greater learning, that not only will it help uh, to combat disease, the fight against disease, but if there's greater learning, we hear that it will also empower people uh, in the fight against poverty. That education is, in the eyes of so many people, and as one thinker has uh, famously said, education is not just important. He says this, education is the most important thing for humanity today. Education, education, education. Okay, well tonight we return to our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a book that we've said before is, yes, one of the more difficult uh, books of scripture to interpret, but it is also, as we've seen and said before, it is a book with (laughs) enormous it relevance to British society in the 21st century. And as we turn to these verses tonight, what I think we'll discover is whether these people were right or not. And whether it is true that wisdom and education and learning, whether or not that truly is the be-all and end-all of a meaningful life upon this earth. I would invite you to to please uh, do what I always ask you to do at this point and to turn with me in your Bibles to that portion of Scripture. Uh, So if you're using the church Bible, it is uh, page 669, is Ecclesiastes 2. And what I should also say is that it is from verse, although Paul read from verse 9, uh, we'd covered the first part of that previously. So we're actually looking at the section from verse 12 to verse 17. So from verse 12 to verse 17. That's the section. Okay. And uh, tonight, as this morning, we will notice or endeavor to, to, to notice and highlight three things that we see in this portion of Scripture. Each of these will begin with the letter V. And so the first thing that we must see in this portion of Scripture, and it comes out, it's rather obvious, is the value of wisdom. That's the first V, the value of wisdom. Okay, Uh, let's begin, if you like, by refreshing our memories. We've had this enforced break with Ecclesiastes. Uh, So what is this? Um, Perhaps you're visiting us tonight. Perhaps you're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes. What's happened so far? What is this that we're dealing with here? Well, we could say, I think, couldn't we, that what's happened or what's going on in Ecclesiastes just now is that King Solomon, he is reminiscing. That King Solomon here, who is preaching in Ecclesiastes, he is looking back over his life 
And he is speaking here of this sort of great, a large pursuit of meaning in which he has engaged in his life. And hopefully you remember what this pursuit of meaning has looked like, do you? Do you? I started off pretty dark. Do you remember how the book begins? He's looking through his life and he's looking for meaning. And what does he say? Everything is meaningless. It's not a dark beginning. Then what does he do? He sort of unfolds that a little bit. He tells us what he means by that. He says, he's specific, like worldly wisdom's meaningless. Knowledge it is also vain. And then, if you've got a great memory, then you'll remember what we saw last time out. He spoke about this great pursuit of pleasure in which he's engaged in his life. Do you remember what that was like? Solomon says, you know, I've, 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 I've done it all. And I've looked into wine and women and, and the works of my hand. But do you know what I found? Do you know what I found? As with everything else, these things too, all of it is just, what does he say about it? All of these things, they're just a chasing after the wind. It's all meaningless. So that's the background. That's what has been happening. What about this tonight? You know, you're getting into chapter 2. We're getting into the the nitty-gritty with Ecclesiastes. What about this tonight? I, I actually think that you could argue that what is happening here in this section is that Solomon is returning to a topic that I think is really haunting him at the end of his life. Um, you know your Bibles. Who was Solomon? What was special about Solomon? Yeah, he's king. But what was he blessed with? Hmm? Great wisdom, wasn't he? This man with such wisdom from God. And so you see what's happening. Although he has mentioned worldly wisdom in chapter 1, as he reflects on his life, what does he do here? He goes back to that same topic. He goes back to thinking about wrestling with worldly wisdom. Why? Because he's sure in amongst all of this learning that I have, there must be meaning, real, true meaning there. You see it? And so what we have tonight, we've got the conclusions that Solomon here draws. So what does he say? Well, I'm I'm looking around at the congregation thinking most of you here were were here this morning. Um, So you remember what we said about Esther and she appeared before King Xerxes that she did not say exactly what we were expecting her to say to Xerxes. Isn't that right? Uh, We expected her to say, please deliver my people. And she did say that, but then she said, also, please deliver me from, from, from this. She didn't exactly say what we were expecting her to say. I would, I would suggest that that's true of Solomon tonight. That he does not say in this portion of scripture exactly what we were expecting him to say. See, see, what have I just said? What, what has been his theme? Everything's meaningless. Like, don't you agree, so far in Ecclesiastes, the theme's been negative. Everything, it's like comprehensive. You just think, look, everything is meaningless. There's no meaning at all. It's so negative. And then, out of the blue, 
What do you have? Look at verse 13 with me. So there's been this massive background of darkness and negativity. Look at verse 13. What does he say about wisdom? Worldly wisdom. What does he say? Look at that. Look at it. (laughs) He says, Then I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Or I think some of you are using the ESV and it really sort of captures the sort of almost this change in tone. The ESV says, Solomon says, there is, there is actually more gain in wisdom than folly. That's not what we would expect him to say, is it? You know, where's all the negativity? Where's all this? Everything is meaningless. Suddenly there's a change. Suddenly he's more positive. There's actually value in, in something at least. And, As well, notice that it's not a slight distinction he's drawn. He's not saying that, well, worldly wisdom's a little bit worthwhile. Look what he says here. Look, carry on in verse 13 with me. Wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. Like what a contrast he's he's drawn. Look, do you see, friends? Do you see what Solomon's saying? He is saying that that even worldly wisdom, from a scriptural point of view, is to be prized. Like he's saying that to us tonight, that ignorance is not a virtue. Look, if, if, if wisdom is light compared to darkness, the more knowledge that we accumulate, the more substantial, I suppose, our intellect, the more the room of our lives will be illuminated. One, one commentator sums it up like this. He says that wisdom does make it easier for man to succeed. Even in secular terms, it makes it easier for man to succeed in life upon this earth. Wisdom is valuable. Now, <laughs> let me say this to you. Hear this. Uh, seeing this portion of scripture as we go on a wee bit tonight, there will be more important lessons than this. I promise you. There are more important lessons than the fact that wisdom is to be cherished and prized over foolishness. And they're more important lessons. But this is scriptural. And, 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 and so this is surely still worthy of note. So I'd ask you to do this with me. Would, would you consider this application? That since the Solomon says here that wisdom is better than folly, that you and I as the people of God, we should not despise the wise. Do you hear that? The since scripture is telling us that wisdom is to be prized over folly, you and I ask the church in here that we should not despise the wise. And I think, and I'm sure you'd agree, that we can do this in a number of ways. First of all, surely we can slip into despising the elderly. What do I mean by that? Well, um, I grew up in a town in the very north of Scotland called Inverness. And uh, when I was growing up, I don't know how you would fancy this tonight, uh, but what we would do every Sunday, I think it was every Sunday, when I'm a little boy, my brother was very young as well, we would have to go to church on a Sunday evening. And then after church, what we would do is go along, taken by our parents to another evening service after the evening service, two evening services 
every Sunday night. The second one, all the sort of congregations we get together at the local big hall in the YMCA and a long service there. Now, maybe you might understand me if I was to say that my brother and I as kids, we were not altogether fans of this idea of two evening services. But the blow was kind of softened for us by the fun that we would poke at the other people in attendance at this second service. So between ourselves, we would see these elderly people coming into this second service, and my brother and I would laugh at their hair, and we'd laugh at the, you know, the conservative clothes that they were wearing, and so on. Now, See that there? That is surely a picture of the way that society today in Britain deals with and views the elderly, isn't it? We can tend to demean and almost laugh at the elderly. They they seem to be a, a subject for our ridicule often today. But what is the Christian view? of that. I mean, what would the Bible say about What does the book of Job say about that? Do you know the verse that I'm going for here? Listen to this verse. It says that wisdom is with aged men. That long, with long life comes understanding. And is that not true? Is it not true? That with greater years comes greater learning, greater understanding. Even if it is just from elderly people learning from the, the awful mistakes of youth. So I hope you see the, the lesson there that you and I, especially in the life of God's church, we should not be people who mock the elderly, that you and I should be people who seek to learn from those of advancing years. So we see that we, we can slip into despising the elderly. There's another side to this as well, though, that we can also slip into despising the educated. What do I mean by that? Well, picture the scene. You've all been there, I hope. Imagine it's a house group. You've been a house group, hopefully. And you're sitting there in someone's house studying the Bible. <laughs> There's a group of you and the person who's leading the Bible study asks a question from text and then somebody there, somebody who's obviously really, really bright and somebody who's obviously spending an awful lot of time researching this before they come to the Bible study, they answer the question in the most elaborate and detailed and profound way, right? You've been there. What do you think about that normally? Well, we shouldn't think like this, but if you're anything like me, sometimes you think, what a swat. You know, we think, oh, you know, who do you think you are? You know, what is all of this? And again, that is a, a, a picture of the way that, that we can, can, can be to the educated generally. Is there not, a, is there not a, a sense in which we can slip very easily into an almost inverted snobbery when it comes to intelligence? Is that not right? That we can sort of look down upon people of higher education. We hear that somebody's got a PhD or a master's. What do many of us think? We think, oh, well, they might be bright, but they won't have common sense or, or so forth. You see? But wait a minute. What is the very, very basic lesson that we are confronted with in Scripture tonight? Wisdom 
is better than folly. Now you see, we should not join our voices to those who ridicule the educated. Do you see that? And in fact, we should be following in their footsteps. We, friends, as the church, should view learning, even in fields outside of theology, we should view that as what? As a gift from Almighty God. It is a gift. Education, a gift from God. What is it that uh, Proverbs 16 says? How much better it is to gain wisdom than gold. So we see, first of all, the value of wisdom. So I said that there would be three V's. The second V that we need to see in this portion of Scripture is the vanity of wisdom. So we've seen the value of it, but I would suggest more importantly, we also see the vanity of wisdom. Yeah, let me let me deal with this. Uh, some of the commentators and even some of the uh, solid uh, commentators would uh, say that what we've seen thus far in Ecclesiastes and, and this portion of Scripture is rather bland. That's the accusation. You know, they, they say, okay, this thesis from Solomon that wisdom is better than folly, it's, it's rather... Uh, dull. Now, hopefully you disagree with that. But I think we do have to return to what we hinted at before. We have to ask, is that it, Solomon? Is that it? Is that what you've got for us? In this portion of scripture, is that it? Is there, is that your main point? Well, it's not his main point. So would you look at verse 14? Would you look at the end? of verse 14 to see his main point. He has been examining wisdom throughout his life. And what does he see? That though it is to be preferred to be wise over foolish, look at it, that the same fate overtakes them both. And I ask you, what is that same fate for the wise and the foolish? Look at the end of verse 16. That like the fool, the wise man too must die. You see what he's saying? That though, yeah, okay, maybe it is valuable for a time. That no amount of learning and no amount of wisdom and no amount of education is going to shield people, shield us from the reality and inevitability of death. That the wise man, like the fool, shall certainly die. A few years ago, um, there was an article appeared in the daily newspaper written by a social commentator, if you like. And she, her main point, her thesis, was that in Britain today, we do not do death. We don't do death. You know, she said that, you know, give, let's say 200 years ago, given the reduced life expectancy of the time, death was an active topic, wasn't it? If you think back to your great, great, great grandparents, death was an active topic. 
It was a sort of daily thing, wasn't it? People, people knew death. They saw death. And this, this woman writing in the paper saying, it's not the same in Britain today, given all these medical advances that, 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 that we don't like to consider death at all. And we don't talk about death. We do not like to think about death in this society. I've got bad news for you. You're not going to get that luxury over the next few weeks. Because I need you to see that this tonight is the first of a number of instances where Solomon will deal with the topic of death in this book. And I want you to prepare for that and to pray about that. But I do think that tonight we need to pay close attention to what he's saying about death. And what is that? That the fool... And the wise man will die equally. They will die alike. And we need to ponder that. You see what it means, don't you? That the scholar and the pauper, that they will look the same as they die. And I think, you know, some of us, even just now, we're we're sort of glorying in some of the discerning decisions that we're making at this point in our life, aren't we? We're kind of proud of the decisions we're making about our kids and our employment, where we live, how we spend our money. We're pleased with these things. What is true? On your deathbed, all of those decisions are going to seem so meaningless. And I want you to understand and I want you to see it clearly that when it comes to intellectual ability, death is not prejudice and death is not biased. And regardless of our intellectual ability, every single one of us one day shall pass. And Solomon wants to drum that home to his hearers. And so see what he does. Look at verse 16. Look at the entirety of verse 16. He says, For the wise man, like the fool, and listen to this, will not be long remembered. The wise man not long remembered. In days to come, what is his promise? Both will be forgotten. And, and, and doesn't that hit the message home? That, that lack of remembrance. I, I, I don't know if you know the name. Have you heard the name Antonio eh, Porchia? Have you heard that name? I think some of our South American friends maybe have heard eh, the name. Eh, Antonio Porchia is an Argentinian. He's an Argentinian poet. And he said this. He wrote this. He said, man lives in the hope of becoming a memory. Man lives in the hope of becoming a memory. It's nice. Do you see what he's getting at? It's very, very similar to what Solomon has already said in chapter 1. What do people in this society want? What do they long for? They want to be remembered, don't they? They want, we want our memories to live on. Solomon has said that, but do you see how it relates to, to this We want to use our learning, we want to use our wisdom to be 
remember. We want to use this for present, but yeah, for future appreciation. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized eternally. That's what people want. And what is Solomon saying here? That shall never be. That no matter how hard we try in our own efforts, we are never going to be able to write our names in the annals of human history with a permanent pen. We're not going to be able to do it. And even if we could do it, we're not going to be around to bask in the glory of it. Why not? Because every single one of us, slowly but surely, is fading away. Now, the, the relevance of what Solomon is saying is, is clear for every one of us. I think it is especially clear for the young people of this church. Like we live in a, a city of learning, don't we? London is renowned for that. And there's, there's many people in the congregation. I was very aware of this this morning. There's a lot of people in the congregation who are beginning uh, new terms at university. And people who are even got exams coming up and people who are in the middle of professional qualifications and there's all this uh, pressure upon them. And you see the lesson we have in Ecclesiastes 2. Yes, wisdom is, is valuable. Look, it's, it's this stuff. It's, it's prized. It's valued by the Lord your God. But what has Solomon seen? As he looks back and all the wisdom that he has accumulated, what does he see? He sees that worldly wisdom is not where meaning in life is found. That no matter how substantial our intellect becomes, it's going to mean nothing on the day of our death. And I think it would serve us well as a congregation to live in light of that fact. Under the sun, the wise man and the fool, they die in the same way. So we see the value of wisdom. It is value. But we also see the vanity of wisdom. There is no ultimate meaning found there. There is a third V that we see in these verses. And that is a vexation at life vexation at life some of you i know have got netflix and some of you have got amazon video and uh, you'll know of course that uh, in recent times netflix and amazon have started to make their own uh, tv series and their own films haven't they uh, well a couple of weeks ago uh, as i lay incapacitated in uh, my living room, my wife and I watched a, a, a Netflix film. I think it was called Tallulah. But I must say, when I mention a film from the pulpit, I am not recommending the film. Okay? That's not how it works. Don't watch the film. But nevertheless, uh, there was a moment in the film that, that seemed to be really quite profound. So two of the main characters in Tallulah, at one point... They sit together and they start talking about death. And they talk about it and they think about it. And it, all of a sudden it brings from them the most intense emotional reaction. Like they're sitting and thinking about death. They talk about death 
And then when they think about it, when they think, we are going to die. And every single person that we've ever known is going to die. And every single person we know now and every single person that we will get to know and get to love, they too will die. When they consider that, what happens is this intense flood of emotion. You see, they are greatly moved by the sheer reality, the comprehensiveness of death. And what I want you to see is that that there is exactly what happens here with Solomon. Now, do you see that? Look at the last verse. Now, you might think the last verse is verse 16. It is not. Verse 17 fits with this section. Now, look what Solomon says. He considers death. He considers that the the wise man, the fool, everyone's going to die. And what does he say? Verse 17, so I hated life. Now, Isn't that incredible language? Think about who's speaking. This is God's king. This is God's chosen king. This is the king over Jerusalem. And what is he saying? Such is the reality of death that I hated life. But I wonder, do you see what's happening here with Solomon? Like, at this point, Solomon is not just musing on the reality of death in the abstract. What have we said before in the sermon series? What's happening in the book of Ecclesiastes? He is preaching at the end of his life. And so now do you see it? This isn't death in the abstract. This is Solomon at this point wrestling with his own impending And he sees before him that none of the riches of the palace, none of the learning, none of the wisdom, none of the works of his hand is going to make a shred of difference. He sees that soon he will die. And I think in verse 17, what you've got before you, and I mean this, is almost suicidal despair because of that fact. And so this is how we'll end tonight. We'll end with this. Is that where you're at? You know, as you think about the frailty of your own life, and you think about the nearness of your own death, and you think about the reality of the, the death of those people that you love dear, Think about the brevity of it. The brevity of life. You think about the, the, the certainty of death. Do you despair? Are you a Christian in here tonight that is despairing of the comprehensiveness and reality of death? Are you? If so, listen. Remember the most important detail of the book of Ecclesiastes. That Solomon here is speaking of a limited view of life. Do you see that? He's speaking about life lived under the sun. 
He's speaking about a life without reference to Almighty God. And what I long for you, if you're a Christian to do tonight, what I long for you to do is to cherish and hold on to the fact that when you do involve God, when you look to Him, when you see life through gospel eyes, what happens? Your view of life, but also your view of death. Surely it changes dramatically. Because what do we learn in the gospel, friends? What is it that Paul says in Romans 6? Would you listen to this? He says that those of us, and this is you if you're a Christian, that those of us who have been baptized into Christ, ready for the past tense here, that we have already been baptized into his death. Do you see what this means for us as Christians? It means that in a very real sense, in the sense that matters most, in a spiritual sense, you've already died. Do you see it? That by faith uniting us to Christ Jesus in a spiritual sense, in that sense that matters most, our death took place at the cross. What is true of us today? What is true of you here just now spiritually? You are risen. Do you see it? That you live now, now, eternally. You have everlasting life now. Your death has been And so I ask you, are you a Christian who is fearing death? Don't see in the gospel you need not fear. And if you are in that situation this evening, I'd urge you to do this one thing. Look again tonight to the cross of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, look there. Look less at your own impending death. And look far more to that death. That unique sin-bearing death. That death that has won for you tonight everlasting life. Look to the cross and praise God that in Jesus Christ we need not despair. Let's pray.